This is Binod Shankar and you're listening to the Real Finance Mentor podcast from the realfinancementor.com. The Real Finance Mentor is your go-to resource for insight and inspiration on careers in finance, CFA and more. I would think why this podcast? Well, my goal is to deliver insight and inspiration for your finance career by making it one relatable. This is not theoretical stuff. We zero in on the critical practical issues. Number 2, authentic. No bullshit, no sidestepping. The topics, guests and questions are all from that perspective. And number 3, take a charge account and CFA chart holder at 17 plus years as a corporate warrior, mixing 10 years of entrepreneurship, through a decade of full-time CFA training, at speaking, mentoring, cycling and mountaineering, and that's me. Welcome to the Real Finance Mentor, or as I call it, RFM. Hello everyone, this is Binod Shankar here. with the next episode of the real finance mentor podcast the podcast that delivers insight and inspiration for your finance careers um and today i have another special guest uh someone who is quite young who's done a lot uh, in her young career uh let me introduce you to meenakshi agarwal todi now meenakshi is a commerce graduate from hr college in mumbai she then uh, jumped straight into the masters from cas business school in the uk and then vaulted into the hallowed world of uh, investment banking with jp morgan in london right smack in the middle of the city and uh, somewhere after that uh, for reason that she will explain to us she took a sudden turn and went into entrepreneurship and she right now heads um, an entity called finbox which is uh, heavily into financial literacy financial education um, for for the masses which is something she believes passionately about in between of course uh, she's also a, a visiting faculty at ismi um, the business school in mumbai and um, she does quite a few other things as well which she will tell us about during our talk so welcome to the show uh, minakshi thank you Uh, I've got a lot of questions to ask you, as you can imagine, right? I mean, given your very <laughs> interesting background, uh, I'm not going to reveal anything to the listeners right now. I think uh, I want you to tell your own story. But first, something very curious. I just noticed in your profile that you have dabbled in the world of chartered accountancy, but that you quit soon after IPCC, which I think is the equivalent of inter. So my question is, why did you start and then leave the hallowed world of chartered accountancy, which a lot of people, you know, dream and struggle and finally get out of? Correct. And uh, this is a very interesting place for you to start because uh, you're starting with something I didn't do uh, after my tenth standard. So I got a eighty-nine point three eight percent in my tenth standard, which was considered to be a very very good grade back then, and I got my choice of colleges. I decided to pick HR College, which was in South Bombay, and I wanted to pursue a career in finance. I was always good with numbers. I was always good with logic. Accounting in general was not very hard. It was pretty easy to me. And uh, while pursuing my BCom, a lot of my friends told me that you know, Manakshi, you have ambition, but having a BCom degree is not going to be enough in today's competitive world. So with that mindset, I decided, okay, let me pick up some extra qualifications. and i decided to start pursuing my ca i gave my entrance exam with hope and you know uh, a lot of prayers and i surprisingly passed and did very very well and i realized that i'm enjoying this i'm good at it i also passed my ipcc which you're right is um, in olden days the inter ca 
Nowadays, they also give you a qualification as an accounting technician. So I'm also a qualified accounting technician. But um, I never finished my CA. So even though I was really good at it, my main ambition was to go abroad and uh, study finance abroad. And back then, I had to make a choice. So as soon as I finished my BCom, I got accepted into Cass Business School London for the September 2013 intake. And I also got a scholarship. So I got the Vipin Serene Foundation scholarship along with my offer letter. And I was so confused because uh, on one hand, I was getting this opportunity to go abroad and study. And on the other hand, my CA final attempt was the very next year in November. So at that point, I had to make a choice. Which one do I want to go ahead with? So I made my choice. I decided to go abroad and pursue my master's degree and not finish my CA. It was all about timing. If I had a choice back then to do both, somehow, I probably would have done both. But it was all about timing. So probably what you can say is a chart account is loss is investment banking's gain at that point, probably now the financial education in sectors gain, right? If you look at it that way. Very true. And uh, looking back, a lot of people might ask, do you have any regrets? And I say, no, I, I really picked the path that got me where I wanted to be. Mm -hmm. Now, you said you did your master's from CAS Business School in the UK. Uh, that's quite an unusual jump uh, at that age and stage of your life and career. So I've got two questions for you, right? Uh, firstly, my first question is, why the masters? So um, I was looking for a one-year postgraduate program. And I was looking for it in the UK, given its proximity to India. And also back then, the UK work visa was pretty flexible if you managed to get corporate sponsorship. So, and I had little to no work experience having just finished my undergraduate degree. I was 21 years old. I didn't want to waste any time thinking. I wanted to go abroad, finish my education, um, you know, become, become that girl who has a corner office. Uh, in India, it's a little scary being, I would say, a girl in her 20s because, you know, the society always tells you get married. And uh, I didn't want to risk any such complication where I'm still, you know, deciding, still thinking about it. I said, let me just go and let me just go and do it, which is why I decided, let me pick a one year master's. I'll be eligible to work in the UK. I'll apply for a big four firm because I have an accountancy background. So I should, in fact, uh, get a lot. I do get a lot of exemptions if I do choose to do the ACCA, which is the CA equivalent in the UK. And um, the work, the US, the UK work visa back then needed sponsorship by a company. And uh, students were allowed only to stay up to six months after their degree got over. So based on all the rules and the fact that it was so close to India, I decided, okay, I want to do a master's degree and UK was my target. Right, so that explains um, why the master's degree. And in fact, I'm going to come back to this statement you made earlier about the girl graduates in India and you know women in finance in general. But my next related question is, why CAS Business School? So CAS Business School um, stood ranked 11th in Europe back then and third in the UK in terms of a finance program. And their finance program was geared specifically towards freshers with no work experience. So I wanted to be somewhere where I wasn't expected to have already worked, already applied my knowledge, where I was still in the learning phase of life. And 
I all I needed was a really good GMAT score and good grades. They asked me for an eighty percent. I got a ninety percent, so I was a good student. I had the grades, and that's why I picked CAS. I did apply to LSE Warwick. I applied to a few other schools, but um, for me and for the number of people I had spoken to, I had really done my research. CAS was the best bet to reach the corner office overlooking London that I was thinking of. At this stage, I'm feeling a mixture of. Uh... admiration and envy because you know someone so young sort of probably figured out exactly what was the route to get to the corner office i think at uh when i was your age i had absolutely no clue uh apart from just nailing the chartered accountancy and sort of waiting for what comes next so kudos to you for sort of knowing how to get to where you wanted to get to i've got one more question regarding your master's journey what did you exactly pick up what did you learn while doing your masters at cas business school in terms of both um, skills and in terms of attitude towards education career life etc when i first joined cas business school i genuinely thought it would be all about the academics you know it was it was about getting that masters degree but um the most important thing i learned at cas business school wasn't academics it was networking they really taught us how to you know speak to people get to know people people build ties make connections and uh, this helped me a lot in my corporate journey uh i i ended up i would say at jp morgan all because of the networking at gas i may have never even considered applying to jp morgan if i hadn't attended a jp morgan networking event at gas business school where um, all these people from the risk community were there they talked about the job they looked really good and uh, they looked like they had a good life a good thing going and that's what actually even motivated me to end up applying to jp morgan so um the the biggest and most important thing that i learned was networking something else that i've picked up at cas that's still close to me today i wouldn't say it's a, it's a thing but my closest friends the people i trust for advice and for life advice are the people i met at cas business school because ultimately you're in a in an atmosphere or an ecosystem with like minded people and uh, these are the people that end up guiding you so my closest friends have been from cas business school so that's i would say my most prized treasure that i've picked up it's very interesting when you say this meenakshi because the the guest on my previous episode of the rfm podcast hanitosh bariya who is also happens to be an ex student of mine and a cfa charter holder he's also been through business school but this time in the us and he made it to barclays right and he said exactly the same thing or some similar lines he said one of the biggest if not the biggest benefit of going to business school was the the connections of the networks because that's how he got into barclays uh, uh, where he is right now working in investment banking um so let me talk about let's just sort of move on to your career in investment banking right which is a very interesting field um and quite you know difficult to get into now i remember you told me uh, in one of our discussions earlier that you were the only indian woman on the floor and the only woman in a team of 11 at jp morgan now investment banking is also typically a male dominated world right so not only were you ethnic minority but you were also a woman so you're like a double minority right so uh my main question here would be what are the challenges you faced being a minority i indian within a minority female and the related question would be how did you deal with these challenges wow that's a tough one <laughs> 
um i would say that uh, ib is a very male dominated field so anyone going into ib they already prepared with that mindset that ib is very male dominated and why most organizations try to encourage women in the field it's not very easy i think my age so i was 21 back then when i joined jp morgan and uh, now i was 22 and my young age you know and my face i would say that didn't help as well right you see a young person all bubbly and ready to work and you don't take them very seriously so it was very difficult to be taken seriously i learned um, how to conform finally to dress codes so you know the blacks the grays the blues how to have elevator conversations conversations about oh how's the weather yes it's hot. it's been hot today we had a hot weekend oh, it's been a dry spell oh what are your plans for the weekend i mean i think at some point i had got tuned to doing all this even without thinking you know um, there was always politics at play so when uh, you're being staffed so you have a staffer and you work in a team and depending on your workload you get staffed on various deals so it took me time to realize that okay if you didn't speak up you could be left out because it was all about you know being a go getter you had to push yourself and you had to make place for yourself at the table if you were just sitting there silently you would be as good as ignored and being like you said a woman and an indian woman you had to be even more pushy and you you really have to um speak up and speak out and there was nobody who was going to handhold you and help you because everyone had to do it for themselves uh there was something else about you know having that facetime culture so what is facetime culture it's when you stay around at work looking busy when you're not actually very busy and uh, that was something i saw in some of the other teams because i would see people working till really late and i used to say am i doing less or you know am i not working hard enough why why am i still not needing to be here and uh, luckily i was blessed i had a very good manager whoever saw me working past 6:30 would come and check you know is this important can you go home and do this tomorrow uh, so touch wood i was blessed but um, that face time culture was something that was interesting and different right because you'd think as soon as you finish your work you'd be out the door why would you sit around and you know look pretty and uh, these people like my manager and people who encouraged me saying come on speak up you can do it these were the people who really kept me going but uh, all in all yes it was hard <laughs> Yeah, I mean, IB is leg- is a legendarily tough career, right? It's a difficult sector to get into, difficult sector to survive. Um, forget about you no know, thriving. Now, I recall you also mentioned in a previous uh, conversation we had. You mentioned being surprised at the level of multitasking and efficiency required or demanded at the job, and you did say that you were initially quite unprepared for the rigors of you know investment banking at at JP Morgan. So. i'm very curious what were your aptitude gaps and how did you close these gaps uh, while on the job um firstly when i got the job i thought i was pretty cool because uh, back then not many people were getting jobs and being a woman and being an indian woman i got you know an investment banking job so i thought hey i'm already halfway there but to my shock when i first received my very first piece of feedback from my manager and this was in the very first team that i was in you know i just joined i was young we were 3 months in and i was told that i was very shy i was very quiet and uh, i did what was asked of me and i just thought to myself for the love of god why is that a bad thing you know i'm quiet i'm shy and i do what you tell me to 
how can that possibly be a bad thing and now i realize what my manager was trying to say what she was trying to tell me was you should ask more questions voice your opinion don't do what's asked of you do more than that go above and beyond because what's nothing's going to make you stand out if you just do what you're told you have to do more you have to think out of the box you have to give more and i knew at some point that this was my first real job this was no longer school so i had to take on board these feedbacks given by my manager because if i didn't i i wouldn't survive and it was survival of the fittest so in order to address the feedback i joined some work committees so we had a very social culture at work as well where you had committees you had sports sporting activities you had a lot of things going on and it was really up to you to join it so i joined something called vaya it was women in risk exchange and i also volunteered to beta test some new excel tools so i ended up working with teams across the globe so i had some contacts in the american team some in the australian a few in india and this kind of helped me put myself out there i also eventually ended up ironically teaching this tool at their in-house university and why is why i say ironic is because i'm a teacher now so i didn't even know i was getting myself into this profession back then while i was still in banking and um, putting myself in all of these roles i actually forced myself to interact with people collaborate with more people open up and start speaking i also uh, made it a point so there's a very fun culture in the uk called friday drinks where a lot of your colleagues a lot of people from other departments we all meet up at usually the bar across the road and you end up chatting you end up gossiping you end up talking but um it's a way to show your face it's a way to kind of get known because ultimately when person a is talking to person b and they say oh have you you know have you do you know of this person you want to be known you want to exist in their culture um i had to devote a lot more time because of these added responsibilities that i had taken up the tool and the wire but i underwent a very large personality change so when you meet me today and i tell you hey i used to be a shy quiet girl i think for a lot of people who know me now that's unimaginable because um my personality change my attitude shift it's it's i'm no longer seen as that shy quiet girl in fact a funny thing is when i was quitting jp morgan so in my last few months my feedback was that i am very confident and i voiced my opinion quite strongly and again i was left a little confused because i was like i'm not sure if this is a good thing or a bad thing but um one of the most important lessons that ib taught me is that um you can never only get good feedback in fact giving another person just positive feedback is not good enough while it's nice to hear nice things about yourself you need someone to criticize you because if you don't get that critique you won't grow so while i didn't appreciate that when i was there being where i am today i really understand it because um when someone tells me nice things i say yes that's great but that's not helpful that's not making me grow so i would say my ib experience really made me who i am today interesting i mean you learned a lot about yourself i suppose um the required skills but my question also would be what did you love exactly about your job in investment banking what was it that made you work so hard and you know rise up in the morning to go to work 
um you know when i imagined being at in in investment banking i uh, imagined it would be like the movies so um there was this show called suits which came out in 2011 which was uh, two years before i actually went to the uk and it showed very good looking fit men women super nice offices you know the business class travel life they working on important deals through the night and uh, that was my life my life was exactly like that i was living the suits life and uh, everyone speaks very lowly of ib but there is a lot to love my my workplace it was this tall shiny glass building at 25 bank street canary wharf as soon as you came out of the tube station it just stood there towering you know it was so impressive and then to walk into that office you felt so nice you got greeted you know by the staff they recognized you you felt that belonging somewhere you know every morning you walk in you feel good about yourself walking into that building everything's the decor is nice everything looks good smells good so apart from the aesthetics also i really loved the work i did because i felt like i was finally putting all my studying to use this was my first real job and i felt that all those hours of studying accounts studying financial statements studying finance it was finally paying off i was finally using what i learned and my work did involve a fair bit of client meetings travels um i spent a lot of hours behind the computer screen which i guess uh, is it's it it comes with the job right but um each day in the office was a different day so whenever anyone asked me what was your typical day like that's a, that's a hard question because no two days were ever the same it was constantly evolving constantly learning and you never got bored so i really loved my life and my job of course every good thing has a flip side but um less someone think that this is like a promotional event for investment <laughs> banking i think i'm going to get you to talk about why you quit investment banking where it all come out the other side of investment banking but i got a more important uh, uh, what you call i would say strategic question for you why is it that so many women enter investment banking but not many end up staying for more than a few years so if you look at any major bank and you look at investment banking you would see very few women near or at the top um of course jp morgan recently uh, jamie jamie demon did say that you know the head of uh, mnda at jp morgan was a indian woman which was interesting to see but otherwise it's a tiny tiny minority what is happening it comes down to i would guess um cultural barriers as well so investment banking is very demanding they have really long and deadline bound working hours and um in india we are used to seeing men work out late you know they 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 come late from work we're used to that because we're used to men being bread earners india is very conservative when you think about women working in the office till the wee hours of the morning you know it while i was in london i was often in the office till 9 or 10 pm every day sometimes i was even there as late as 2 am on the busy you know the deal time and um, it was not unheard of for me to work over weekends i used to speak to my parents in india quite regularly and and eventually they got used to the idea that yes one weekend every month manakshi is working and while the pay is lovely and um, the work life balance is not so great this is an industry phenomena you're getting compensated to be there and deliver you're getting paid for the number of hours you put in 
So when it comes to women staying on in banking, I would say time is one of the main reasons. Of course, there are other factors. I mean, women leave because they have other interests. They want quieter lives. Some want changes of careers. Some find it a very high pressure environment. But a lot of it also has to do with the pressure and the time commitment. If you look at majority of all the top women CEOs or women in banking who have, you know, really risen to the top, I'm sure if we ask them what they had to sacrifice, that's that's a sufficiently long list. And uh, from what I can tell, one of the main reasons is that once a woman gets married, you know, she starts a family, her priorities change. I could have imagined that I ended up quit quitting bank banking still as a single woman, but I can imagine my priorities would change, right? And in India, the culture is also that some women have to seek permission from their spouse, from their in-laws, and they may not even get that permission or they might get it with a few restrictions. And investment banking doesn't care about your restrictions. I mean, they're paying you to be there. They're paying you to deliver. So this is probably what causes women to leave the industry and not end up staying beyond those first few years. So this neatly segues to my next question, right, Meenakshi? So you had a corner office in what, 25 Bank Street, Canary Wharf, right? You worked in London in a top bank, JP Morgan. You earned very well um, <clears throat> for anyone of your age. You worked with some very smart multicultural colleagues on some exciting projects. You traveled the world in business class, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So here's my uh, million dollar question, right? Why did you quit investment banking? When all this seems like the dream job for millions of youngsters, you know, sort of aspiring to break into this exciting sector, was there a trigger event that made you do this? Oh, wow. <laughs> this is a hard one too. Um, I would say that uh, as I was approaching, so I finished my first two years and it was very nice because it was a rotation program. So every year I worked with a different team. So as I was approaching the end of my third year and my third team, I uh, started paying more attention to my health, to my fitness. I started meditation. And uh, this all I would say was an, an outcome of JP Morgan as well, because uh, JP Morgan had a health test and all employees had to take one every two years. And uh, when I did mine towards my second year, I realized I was stressed. My doctor told me I needed to lose weight. I needed to get fitter. And um, honestly, I hadn't become that unhealthy, but it was a wake up call because I was always a very slim, slimly built person. So I, 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 this was really shocking for me that someone's telling me, hey, you need to lose weight. And um, I didn't realize that my new lifestyle and all the stress, the long hours, the random eating, it eventually does take a toll on your health. And uh, I sat there, you know, thinking that I'm working really hard. And I'm really good at my job, but what is all this for? You know, um, I wasn't able to see the benefit that regular people would get from my work. So while I was working really hard and making money for JP Morgan, I couldn't see the common man really getting affected by my work. It was more like, okay, I was spending my health. I was really getting a lot of money. And uh, that was it. It was like a banker's club. And, you know, you only hung out with bankers and it was only us who benefited. And uh, I didn't like that. It was, it was, uh, it, I felt like I was not in a win-win situation. 
So I decided to quit, quit my job to do something more meaningful with my life. I wanted to take out more time to pay attention to my own health. But at the same time, I wanted to find something where I didn't feel like I was in a club, where I felt like, hey, whatever I'm doing, it's, I can actually see some tangible impact for all. And, and finance is a field where uh, that's, a scary, that's a scary decision to make. Well, finance is also a field where it's very scarce to see or to be able to make an impact and to also have personal well-being, right? So I must congratulate you for uh, for having the foresight or for having the uh, what do you call the vision to see where this is heading and to realize what you actually want to do in life. Because honestly, many people, not just in their twenties, into thirties, and well into their forties, never really get to do what they want to do or even what they're really good at. So uh, a big uh, thumbs up and I hope more youngsters uh, after experiencing certain aspects of life, you know, uh, sit down and introspect and decide what they really want to do. But talking about your quitting the job as well, I remember you telling me, you know, it it wasn't exactly a brilliant work atmosphere because of, you know, supervisory attitudes, et cetera, et cetera, especially about women bosses and and, uh, women uh, in in banking, my one, I've got a couple of questions here. One is, what is the effect on teams of women aspiring to be like men in a male-dominated environment like investment banking? When they change themselves, what do they end up being and how do they affect people around them? Because you have experienced that yourself, if I'm not mistaken. I, I find that when women are in leadership positions and they're surrounded by men, you don't want to appear weak or soft. So at that point, you want to appear strong, you want to appear hard, you want to have a hard exterior, because um, you want to say that, hey, I'm strong, I'm confident, I'm not weak, I can treat men and women equally. So I find what men, what women end up doing sometimes is one, they end up being harder on other women, because they're trying to show, okay, we're very impartial, we're not, uh, we're not favoring the, you know, our sex where we're equal with all and um, women also work with that notion right that I struggled and got here I did it so why can't you why are you weaker why are you you know not up to the mark and I guess this doesn't help uh, their subordinates so you end up disliking your woman boss sometimes because of that but um, honestly I don't I don't even think she knows she's doing it and uh, how would you handle it or how would you handle a tough boss then? I mean, I wish someone had told me this back then, but the best way to handle a bully is to stand up to them. I mean, no one can really tell you off for being honest about your limitations. If I have a time restriction or I'm unable to do something because I don't know how, rather than struggling, fretting, you know, submitting work late, I mean, the best thing to do is have an honest conversation about what's not working for you. As far as the system goes, the more you give, the more they'll take. So it's up to you, right? How much you want to put in as a woman and whether it's a woman boss or whether it's that environment, it's up to you to speak out. No one's going to do that for you. And uh, that's, this is not just an investment banking thing. I would say women anywhere, and they must speak out and they must voice their limitations because the other person's not a mind reader. So they don't know to expect that. 
So it's it's really up to you, I would say. Absolutely. I think uh, I love that sentence which you said, you know, uh, nobody can tell you off for being honest about your limitations, whether it is time or skill. Um, it is actually quite a rare attribute because many youngsters, probably even most youngsters in the early stages of the career are so scared of saying, I don't know how to do it or that I don't have the time. They simply say yes to their bosses. They can never say no to their boss. And as a result, they get overloaded and they deliver sometimes half-baked work or decent quality work, but in extremely stressful situations. So I think I, I like that statement of yours. It's, it's, it requires a lot of authenticity and courage, to be honest, to, to stand up and say that, um, especially in these times when, you know, uh, jobs are not secure and uh, supply for jobs, uh, supply basically is, uh, what do you call, far less than demand for jobs, right? So that's, that's a very good point you made. Now let's talk about your switch, right? The big, the big jump you made. <clears throat> It's quite interesting, of course. You switched from, I wouldn't say switch, actually, I would say you jumped, right? <laughs> it, was a, it was a massive jump you made from investment banking to teaching, right? It's, it's a remarkable shift in many ways, not the least because it's so rare and so different. So I know that you had had sort of dabbled in teaching at some early stage. You mentioned that during the interview, but why teaching? Honestly, it was fate. It was fate that brought me here. And while that may sound cheesy, let me tell you how I got there. So um, after I quit JP Morgan, I set out on a solo trip around the world. And I had decided that when I quit for a year, I'm going to go traveling. I visited lots of cities. I went across America, you know, Vegas, Seattle, Hawaii, did skydiving, went to Europe, Asia, even South Asia. I even traveled a little bit around India. So I really went all out and I met a lot of people from different backgrounds, from different cultures, from different nationalities. I really met a lot of different people. And I realized that um, while we're all different, there is something that genuinely ties us together. And the answer is not humanity. I mean, that does too. But the answer is money, finances, because we all work so hard. We work on our education. We work to get jobs. We want to earn money to afford nice things, to afford travel, to afford a comfortable lifestyle. And um, all of these people from all these different backgrounds, whether there was architecture, uh, you know, architects, designers, people playing sport, people in the advertising world, everyone was working hard to make money. And so many people I met were buried in debt. A lot of people had taken out loans to travel a lot of them did not have certainty on their next paycheck. A lot of them had little to no savings. And um, me being 25 at that point, I was still so conscious that I had built up savings. I had savings post my travel. I did not take debt for my travel. And I thought that, hey, isn't that what everyone would do logically? And that's when I realized that the reason behind this was that a lot of people thought finance was scary. They just trusted their financial decisions on someone else, or they ignored them, or they thought that, hey, we'll figure it out when the time comes. So um, either they simply accumulated their earnings in a bank account, which by the way, does not fight inflation. So that's not very helpful. And it's not gonna accumulate at the pace they're thinking it's gonna accumulate. So that was not very helpful. So to cut a long story short, I met so many people. And after one year of travel, when I moved back to India bag and baggage, I didn't know what I wanted to do. But I knew it had to do with something about solving this problem of people 
not wanting to know more about their own money. I thought that was crazy. And again, as fate would have it, I happened to meet up with one of my old professors from college and uh, she ended up offering me a teaching position as faculty of finance at Izmi School of Management and Entrepreneurship. And this was under the guidance of someone very, very dear to me under the guidance of Dr. Indushani. She was my college principal when I was at HR college and now she was heading this fabulous institution. So I said, hey, why not? I taught uh, undergraduate students finance and um, these young 18 year olds that came to me, they had little or no knowledge of finance as this wasn't a topic taught in schools. So as I left our sessions, I realized that, hey, they don't know much in terms of real life application of finance. And uh, for me to start teaching them, this was a very, very fulfilling experience because a lot of my young 18 year olds became so money wise that now I have them coming to me saying, we're starting SIPs, we've made investments. I said, hey, when you, you guys become 30, you better give me a cut <laughs> because you've got a whole lot of good advice there. So um, after that, I was also asked to teach the postgraduate students of the MBE program. And uh, these students were older. So I just assumed they would have more knowledge and you know, would be in more control of their money matters and maybe even have a financial plan. But how wrong I was. When I realized this, I said, okay, not only should finance be taught right from school, but even adults need to learn about basic money management. So this is how I ended up in teaching and as, as a teacher. Yes, I mean, uh, financial literacy or illiteracy is really so important that people don't give it, uh, despite that, you know, people don't give it enough importance. Um, so let's talk about financial literacy, right? A favorite topic of mine and, of course, uh, which is your life's object and passion these days. Now, the entity that you founded and you currently lead, Finance Box, seems to be picking up traction in the drive towards reducing financial literacy, right? So I've got three questions for you here, Minakshi, right? One is, and we'll go one by one, right? One is, what explains the rising popularity? Um, I think with, uh, with the advent of technology, young people, older people, housewives, everyone's being exposed to more content. The world has really opened up in terms of places to travel, things to see, um, things to own. And this has brought in the question of affordability and financial independence. Young people are starting internships, they're starting startups. This is all letting them interact with money from a much younger age. And um, the finance box aims at giving a layman, someone who knows nothing about finance, the tools and knowledge to be able to run their own finances and plan something that helps them run a smooth life. The idea is not advisory. The idea is not to tell you buy a product. It's to tell you, be educated, have the knowledge, know where your money is, know whether it's working for you. If it's not, know that you need to switch, know whether you need to put it somewhere more efficient. And I guess a lot of people just want to be more empowered now. They don't want to depend on someone for else for their financial decisions. They want to be able to make decisions on their own. I guess that's really making us popular. Interesting point you made, right, as to why, why we need this, because you're so right. There's so many 
tempting options out there on spending your money, whether it's Netflix or Amazon or Airbnb or cheap holidays or air travel, right? I mean, it's so important that uh, people don't just spend their money, but also need to manage their money. My second question is, you know, with Finance Box, I know it's pretty new, but you have had some traction, but I'm sure you've had some challenges as well, right? Uh, in trying to uh, spread the message of financial literacy. So what are the challenges that you have faced and you are facing and how are you overcoming them? Um, I think one of the biggest problems we faced as a financial education startup was how to get people interest, interested in what perceived to be such a mundane, such a scary topic, finance. Like how to get people really interested in finance. A lot of people fear finance. They don't want to study it. We had to figure out how to teach hard topics to first timers. You're someone who has no knowledge about the stock market, about mutual funds, about financial statements, banking, budgeting, personal finance. We had to teach all of these in a super simple and a fun way while also making it applicable to real life. We met this challenge by making financial concepts easy to grasp. And we taught in a way where our learner is able to relate to it. So you give them an example, you show them how it works in real life. Um, we provided study material, we provided games. We've had over 100 students now with us who I would very proudly like to say that we are financially empowered. And we're only four months into our journey of financial literacy. We have also started a winter and summer program for school kids age 11 plus, and we introduce them to the concept of money. We introduce them to the concept of, hey, um, you know, a job or a startup, which would you choose, uh, how to run a business, something as simple as, you know, having a lemonade stand, what would you do to set that up? And I feel that this will strengthen their base from a young age, and we will rid them of that fear of finance. So as they grow older, they'll stop fearing finance as much as the current generation does. So our biggest problem is telling people it's not scary. It's super easy. And um, one of the main ways we've managed to combat this is our workshops are live. So we conduct them on Zoom. And this encourages people to ask questions, to clear doubts. And sometimes they come up with questions I wouldn't have even thought of. Because for me, being someone from finance, it's very obvious that, okay, this is how you would do it. But I just realized that someone from a layman's perspective, who's never done something like that before, they have their own set of questions, their own set of doubts. And now we're slowly becoming much more familiar with what their issues are and incorporating that into our syllabus, incorporating them into our live sessions. So we're answering a lot more questions. We're making it more relevant. Yeah, I agree with you as to why uh, the fact that, you know, uh, finance is seen as a chore, as something boring, and even something fearful and scary because of complex concepts and numbers. I think it's all the more important that we try to demystify and um, make finance simpler for the layman to absorb, right? Now, on a related point, who do you think should know more about finance? But probably my mo more important question here is, what do you think they should know about finance and why? I definitely think young students, eighth standard onwards, should definitely be made more aware about finance. 
students should be taught about saving about budgeting um to build a strong mindset from a younger age they should be aware that there are many challenges involved with earning money and it should be spent wisely and after a lot of thought a lot of young students nowadays they treat debt you know they they get credit cards or student loans and they treat them very casually you know most of this casualness comes from the fact that they're not aware about consequences associated with not paying off their debts on time so if younger people are made more aware of finances as they grow older they'll be smarter citizens now i'm going to talk about something which is not exactly linked to financial literacy uh, but now you're married right you're a mrs now and i'm curious to know what has been your experience in relation to pursuing a finance career post marriage uh, in india as a indian woman so honestly i've been blessed i'm really really lucky because i'm i guess one of those lucky few that have a supportive husband he wanted me to pursue whatever career that i wanted and whatever that whatever career that made me happy i live with my in-laws and they too are god sent they've always encouraged me to work to study to pursue anything i want and it's not been it's i've not had restrictions i have my phd entrance exam which i gave yesterday fingers crossed and hopefully in 5 years you'll be speaking to you know instead of mrs minakshi agarwal todi you'll be speaking to dr minakshi agarwal todi so these are my experiences so far all the best for your phd uh, minakshi and you do realize that you know by publicly lauding your husband and in-laws you've scored some major brownie points with them right i mean so that's a very <laughs> smart move on your side right uh, of course now i must come uh, as as always uh, with podcast you know we need to sort of uh, come to the wrap up uh, you've done your masters right you've worked in investment banking in the city you've traveled worldwide and now you're an entrepreneur and a teacher so i mean i'm really quite impressed because so much in such a short time and normally uh, at your age you know i wouldn't be asking questions like you know what would you advise others to do because at your age normally people haven't achieved so much normally but you're different so i'm going to ask you a question which i normally ask people who are much more experienced much more senior and the question is what are the three career tips that you would give youngsters who are at the threshold of starting some career what do you tell them thank you for your question and um, i'm really touched that you are asking me for advice and uh, let me try and give you some something different some some tips which are slightly different from what you've probably heard so my first one would be uh, show off what you know but acknowledge what you don't know this comes from what i spoke earlier saying you must say what you don't know because no one's a mind reader they're not going to know your limitations so only show off what you know and what you don't go out there and ask for help there's nothing wrong in asking for help for what you don't know my uh, second piece of advice would be be there early be there early get into the office early and work in the early morning hours don't stay too late don't do that late night culture don't do that face time culture it's much much better in the long term 
and you have more perspective your fresher and your attention to detail is much better and uh, my third one would be uh, it won't always be easy it's not going to be easy but hang in there people will only have as much confidence in you as you have in yourself so always have confidence in yourself because it's not going to be easy i'm i've not had an easy road but i hung in there and if you hang in there you'll you'll definitely make it very well said i know i like to second point be there early and don't stay too late i know you were referring to working hours but i see it as from a larger perspective as well which is basically you try out a career uh, early in life see how it works for you what you like what you don't like but don't stay for too long right which <laughs> <laughs> exactly for example chart accountancy you're good at it didn't like it moved on um your your investment bank career you're good at it you liked it for a while and then moved on exactly the right time so i think in your case i think uh, you're very good at uh, timing uh, in terms of not staying too long and basically getting bored uh, and feeling meaningless and apart from the three points i think what's really impressive about your career has been the fact that you made a shift from for lack of a better word profit to purpose in such a you know short time as such a young age uh where you decided that you know you've been there at the glamorous life investment banking of the city and decided that things had to change so that is very rare and when youngsters if youngsters think that you can't have your cake and eat it too probably you're the proof that you can have both of uh, both sides of life you can make money live the glamorous life but also you can uh, make an impact and just like i try to do with this rfm podcast which is to deliver insight and inspiration um so all the best of luck for your future endeavors especially with finance box and with your phd uh, i think uh, you have a long way ahead in your career uh, i'm very interested to see uh, how fast and how far you progress thank you so much again minakshi for making the time today uh, it's been an absolute pleasure hosting you and i hope the listeners find this uh, particular interview inspirational and um, informative um, and insightful as well thank you so much and uh, all the best thank you so much for having me this podcast was brought to you by the real finance mentor thank you so much for listening and i really hope you found it insightful and inspirational if you did enjoy this episode please drop us a review and spread the word and be sure to check out more exclusive content on the realfinancemega.com and my linkedin profile which is binod shankar cfa let's keep in touch just add your name to the mailing list on the realfinancemega.com and we'll tell you about new episodes plus book reviews upcoming events and blogs till the next time onwards and upwards